Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Builder Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. If we have somebody in the wrong seat, no matter how hard they try, they're not going to have the level of success we want them to have. Somebody has a bad role for six months, they end up exiting an organization, and then in the next interview, telling somebody why they were only at the last organization for six months, it, it can be quite significant. So I think that's one of my favorite things I get to see leadership teams do is when they put people in, in the right spots for them. And sometimes that's up a level, sometimes that's down a level, that's fine. It really kind of helps people go and be able to contribute and know that they're playing there. So very excited today. We have Mark Stone on the podcast with us. Welcome, Mark. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate having me. Excited to have you on. And this has been a little bit overdue. Mark and I met actually golfing this summer from a mutual connection. And, and Mark's an EOS implementer, has a doctorate. So don't be scared off, you know, by that level of education <laughs> by Mark. But yeah, long story short, I, I was very excited to have you on today. Wealth of knowledge, very impressed, even for the short time we spent together up in Pine Canyon, up in Flagstaff. And for those listening, you know, I'm familiar with it, but many of our listeners may not be. So yeah. m- maybe walk through essentially what is EOS? Um, yeah, so it's a, an operating system. So like for a, a laptop or a desktop, you'd have an operating system that uh, helps everything function and keep it aligned. Um, EOS is an operating system for your, for your business. So a whole bunch of tools and disciplines that uh, we help companies go and implement in their business to ensure they have three things, which are vision, traction, and health. So vision is making sure that everybody's 100% on the same page with where you're going and how you're going to get there. Traction is helping with discipline and accountability at every level. And as you know, that gets harder the more your organization grows. And then health in terms of leadership team health, um, ensuring that leadership teams are open, honest, fun-loving, free of ambiguity, free of politics. And many times that's not the case. Yeah, how do you do that now? <laughs> uh, it takes a it takes a little time. Uh, we have to create the right environment, and then we have a uh, the chap who created EOS is called Gino Wickman. So, a guy out of Detroit, uh, Michigan, initial member of the uh, EO chapter there, um, and he very carefully cobbled together all the different bits and pieces. So, um, as we go roll it out, it takes a little time to get to that vision, traction, and health, but uh, it's pretty pretty beneficial and has some great outcomes when you get there. It's interesting because I think there's a lot of dynamics to work through with any company. And you mentioned growth as we get, you know, and I think most of us who own businesses are really, um, there's something about entrepreneurship, right? That drives us, that pushes us. People, you know, you typically have to work really hard. Um, a lot of times the growth is not quickly. It's really slow. It's hard to be patient, especially when you may look at competitors or other people and it may discourage you at times. And, (laughs) and there's so many like, I don't want to say self-help, but there's a lot of programs out there. What what separates EOS from maybe a lot of the other systems or methods that are out there in the market that people may be exposed to? Yeah, there are thousands of thousands of books out there, right, that kind of address the issue, which show how hard it is to to fix. In terms of in terms of what we do, I think it goes back to again the process of instilling those tools and disciplines, and then getting leadership teams in the in the room. To your point, we talk about um, hitting the ceiling and how it's going to happen with um, all groups, whether it be at the company level, the team level, or just as individuals. And we pick in five leadership abilities that when we can master them, it's going to help groups uh, break through those ceilings much more quickly, um, ideally with as little pain as possible. So um, we have a saying in our community that there's a tool for everything. We have some foundational ones that we put in place, but um, and once we have them kind of set up and the uh, leadership team and the staff using them, 
it really is a case of just going and finding the right the right tool and then provided you have the right um, atmosphere that open and honest is obviously key kind of ready for change is pretty important and you can kind of go get those those results so um it's interesting. I see a lot of time the journey that teams go on when we try to perfect those five leadership abilities. Sometimes when we start, it's very cautious and we can we run session days that are typically seven hours, give or take a give or take an hour. And sometimes the first session lasts exactly seven hours and everybody kind of takes the lead <laughs> of one or two one or two kind of key people in the room. And then at times, two, three, four sessions in, you can see that a team will really start to have some healthy conflict and that's typically how we get to that accountability, that traction and get everybody on the same page. So um, to steal from Lencioni, we have to have that healthy conflict and that helps with commitment, accountability and, and then results. I, I like that term healthy conflict. Um, maybe break that down a little bit as someone hears the term healthy conflict as you're working with businesses, you know, Mark, evaluating them and you get, I, I would imagine at some, as, as you're coaching, mentoring them, working with them, you, you get down to the core, you know, that healthy conflict. How, why is that beneficial to have healthy conflict? How are different things exposed or fixed or now addressed, you know, maybe in the open as opposed to previously without you being involved that they didn't have that, that ability to go that, you know, that deep and di diagnose yeah. it. Yeah. So um, we steal from Jim Collins and his book, Good to Great, which, you know, a whole bunch book. of entrepreneurs have worked through. The right people, right seats really does teach people. Uh, it really does set people up to go and own their role in an organization. And I think if you start with a belief that everybody gets up in the morning and they want to go do great things, they want to go contribute to their organization. Once you allow people to have that window, that um, area that's theirs, that they own, it becomes much more likely that somebody's going to speak out when you tell them, hey, Brad, this is your job to wear this hat. You're the right person. You're, the right, you're in the right seat to be able to do well at this every day it becomes much easier for people to be able to speak out. And obviously a high functioning leadership team has individuals with different skill sets, with different personalities and different experiences. And I think once we set people up in that framework and they get that peer validation that they are the right person for the right seat, it allows people to then just speak from their position. A lot of our work is um, kind of leaning in and reading body language and, hey, you know, that kind of seemed like you were hesitating there. What, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? Get it out on the table. And when you do that and you get that atmosphere, you can get people contributing. There's typically the, the wisdom and all the answers needed are in the in the room. So um, I don't necessarily know that we're teeing up initially to kind of aim for conflict. But I think <laughs> when you can have people speaking on behalf of their, their seat, sales, ops, and finance are all supposed to see things slightly differently. So if one or two of them are quiet when we're having a conversation, there's probably something that needs addressing. I think what's interesting is you mentioned um... – peer validation. And I don't think I've ever heard that mentioned in, in, you know, in this context, right? Where you're mentioning that, Hey, you're reading body language. People may not be speaking up, but essentially there's a value add of peer validation as you start to restructure the organization, put people in the right seat, define the importance of maybe that peer validation, that unity that comes from it, that synergy. Yeah. So right people for us are going to exhibit your core values. So when we work with a team to validate their core values and define them, we then use a tool called the People Analyzer, and we're pretty upfront about that. We encourage that tool to be used right from the off. And then as we build out an accountability chart, we determine the five major roles for somebody to own in that seat. And then we ask the question, um, Does this is this person, do they get it? Do they want it? Do they have the capacity, the skills, the training, and experience to be able to go do well in that seat every single day? Obviously, we need to have right people core values, and we need to be in a, a right seat, a spot where we can where we can win. Um, so we, once we ask that for the leadership team members in the room, we then do a real-time performance evaluation in the room and we ask, hey, you know, Brad, is it okay if we uh, complete this evaluation right now and we go around the room and is it three yeses? Is it two yeses and a no? Is it two no's and a yes? And again, the wisdom's typically in the room, but um, especially when the peers have put somebody in a seat based on that merit on that merit albeit in a, a pretty quick kind of meritocracy that we're kind of determined on um it, then again it empowers people and it provides that peer validation very often when we start speaking with an organization it's a visionary it's a founder who set a company up and then they've slowly over time as a company's grown they've ended up in a spot where they're not doing the things that bring the highest and best value or the they end up just being responsible for a whole bunch of things that are not fun to them 
So very often we tee up with a visionary and an integrator in our accountability chart, but to encourage that visionary to go be a visionary and do the things that are needed to drag the company forward. It's just as important for the founder to hear from the founder's team that, hey, that's what we want you to be going and doing. That's what you're good at. That's what we see you're good at. Go off and kind of do that for us. So I think a head trash comes into play a little bit when you kind of get pushed into a seat. I think it kind of emboldens us as well. You you broke that down perfectly. It's interesting because I, I, I was thinking as you were speaking just internally with my company. And as you mentioned, you know, most founders are visionaries, right? There's a vision of the company, there's a vision of the brand and essentially an ideal client that they're pushing out there. And so all these things kind of play in that role. Many of us in that position lack the implementation. Maybe we don't. It's just you get to a point where you can only balance so much. And internally, I, I was in a meeting yesterday with one of our designers, they came in and they really want to understand like the implementation and document control. And I'm sitting in this meeting, seeing our implementer, who's Spencer, who's kind of my, one of my directors and just fascinated, right? On how he's breaking stuff down and implementation stuff that like he was doing that I wasn't even aware. And to your point, bringing this to the surface and speak to the importance of job description. The reason being is you mentioned these five major roles and, and I wrote these down because you said, do the people get it? Do they want it? Do they have the skills, the capacity, you know, the core values, how they implement them? These yeah. are things you have to determine to make sure you have the right people. Then, and, and you said this early on, if most people yeah. want to come to work, they want to help build things, whatever your company is focused on, how important is that job description, that baton handoff so that there's not that overlap? Yeah. Well, one of those leadership abilities that I mentioned is delegate and elevate. So uh, we, again, steal right from Dan Sullivan and we want to get you know every individual to their unique ability. But I think there's so much trust required there that when you are that visionary, and all of a sudden you have individuals who report to other individuals, you have folks who are working on projects that you've not touched, that you're not aware of, that that delegation, that allowing other individuals to go run with it and sometimes make mistakes is, is extremely hard. So again, when it comes back to what's my seat, what do I own, what am I responsible for? I think there's an interest in, again, I go back to that kind of empowerment word, but um, this is my lane, I've got it, Brad, come and kind of, you know, come and kind of chat with me if it's going drastically wrong. But other than that, I've got it. I think that connects in with that kind of fulfillment and connection and people want to be part of something that's a little bigger than themselves, but they want to have a really definite role. So I think what you saw there was somebody owning their seat and driving it forward. And it's, I think it's a little humbling sometimes for a founder and a little scary when you have folks doing that. And if you're doing things right, it, it doesn't need you around as much, right? Like it allows <laughs> you to go and to go and drag the business into, into new directions. Well, ideally, that's when not not that there's some level of success, but ideally, that's when you know that to some extent you're on the right path, right? Because yeah. it, you know you're you're not dealing with maybe as much of the day to day because you have empowered people. Th this is something that took me a long time to understand, and it wasn't until I would say about two years ago, it's about a year and a half ago. I'm, I'm part of a builder twenty, and they did with a swap, right? Strengths, yeah. weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and they came and evaluated a lot of my company, and essentially one of the main feedback items, they said, hey, Brad, and this is what you're speaking to, Mark, is they said, okay, you have the right people and they're on the wrong seat, right? <laughs> yeah. they're, they're on the bus, but they're in the wrong seat. And internally, it was interesting to kind of self-reflect on that and be like, yeah, I have really talented people and there's some levels yeah. of the organization that are suffering. And the reason being yeah. is if I moved them over and we, we changed their role and the power that came from that and, and the direction the company's change is so big. I mean, how monumental is that aspect of loan as you're looking through the tiers of the each business, you know, just yeah. that the people in the right seat. Well, I, and that takes time, right? When we go, it's like moving people into new positions with new responsibilities. I can see that for the for the integrator in an organization, that individual who bangs the drum and um, harmoniously integrates and keeps everybody accountable, you can see the stress on their face when we talk about moving responsibilities around because if things get dropped, you know, we, we're letting a customer down, we're hurting our reputation, it takes it takes time. But coming back to our process at EOS, we go and as we look to do that reorganization, we meet three 30-day periods apart. So then the team go and work on that a piece at a time. And then at some stage, once it's it's ready, we go share it with the rest of the organization. And there's typically some great, uh, there's some great feedback come back, some great questions, but that reorganization takes time. It's just super important. And going back to people wanting to do well, if we have somebody in the wrong seat, no matter how hard they try, they're not going to have the level of success we want them to have. 
So that can be pretty significant. Somebody has a bad role for six months, they end up exiting an organization. And then in the next interview, telling somebody why they were only at the last organization for six months, it can be, it can be quite significant. So I think that's one of my favorite things I get to see leadership teams do is when they put people in, in the right spots for them. And sometimes that's other level, sometimes that's down a level, that's fine. I think it, it really kind of helps people go and be able to, to be able to contribute and know that they're playing their, their part. Have you seen, as you evaluate companies over the years, the impact of retention, right? Retention, keeping good employees, training them, how how important is understanding systems, processes, right seat on bus, job descriptions? How does that play a role in retention? That's a good question. It connects. Uh, uh, this was something I studied several years ago with 18 to 29-year-olds. So uh, we looked at, I think in terms of the mechanics to answer your question, getting people set up and getting that infrastructure right with good pathway progressions is is absolutely important. Uh, the aspect in which I look at that is uh, when we have a clear vision and I know how I can be part of it, that's typically quite motivating. And something we do in terms of building out that right structure is at some in some cases, it's going to allow individuals to opt in and double and triple down and say, hey, Brad, I love what we're doing. I'm in for this. Whatever you need me to pick up, I've got it. And it allows people to work their way up the ladder. And in some cases for individuals, if it doesn't stick, if it doesn't resonate with them, they ultimately kind of opt out of the organization and that's fine that's fine as well. So I think the key thing with retention, it's the, it's the right retention and keeping the right people, not just for the organization, but for those individuals them, themselves. And then the other thing I see quite often in terms of decisions, uh, where you're able to create that open and honest environment and you have people in the right seats, when somebody can speak up, I see quite often that individuals don't need to feel like they've had the final say. They need to feel like they were heard in terms of making the right the right decision. So again, I think that helps with the retention as well. It might be that, you know, you and I have three conversations and the outcome each each of the three times is the one that you initially kind of thought was the right thing. I think if I had the chance to contribute to that from my position in my seat, I think I'm going to be okay with it. And that's likely to keep me in the company, company longer. I had no idea you'd take it that direction when I was thinking about the retention aspect. <laughs> and you mentioned, um, that you want to you want to retain the right people and so you mentioned yeah. that there is a journey of disposition there as you're working through all the different segmenting of the company and understanding you know implementation some people are all in as you mentioned are going to double triple yeah. down and some are like it's not for me so essentially yeah. just at the core it's not so much about keeping all the people i mean you want to keep them but it's keeping the right people yeah absolutely i think that's why we want to be clear in terms of one of the things we do we build a two-page strategic document and we have right on there core values, core focus, what we do, a 10-year target typically, where are we heading long-term, marketing strategy, who's the ideal customer and what are we going to go tell them, a three-year picture, which is usually quite eye-opening, you know, to kind of work through that and ensure that a leadership team see it the same the same way, one-year picture, 90-day uh, rocks, and then our long-term issues, and then we have our companies share that with their employees every 90 days. So that it's crystal clear. This is what you signed up for. This is what you're a part of. These are the opportunities, and this is where we're going. I think that's that's important, and I think that transparency really means a means a lot to folks. It's not some secret plan that's kind of hidden away. This is this is who we are. This is what we're doing, and this is where we're going. Is you know we we're much better with that information than without. So so I lost you. Brother. Sorry, I lost you for a second. Define rocks like traction. You know, what, what is that? So those are, in our world, those are 90-day uh, priorities. So um, working from Al Reese's book, I mentioned in Focus, what's been shown is that our, our energy is going to last about 90 days, kind of longer than that. The ropes are going to begin to fray. Um, we're going to get distracted and pull in different areas. So we simply start with an organization. We list all the issues, the things we must get done in the 90 days. We prioritize some of them. We make those company rocks that we then go share on that two-page plan every quarter with the team. And then typically a leadership team member will have three to seven priorities as well. And once a company's implemented EOS for a while, everybody in the organization should have one, two, or three priorities that they know it's their job to put at the top of their uh, top of mind, top of their to-do list every day so that we don't scramble around dealing with those daily issues, those disturbances that come up. It's quite a hard discipline to get right. It often takes groups quite a few goes to build the to build the muscle. You see, I see some very industry specific um, 
nuances. You know, certain groups ban certain words and certain approaches. I have one group who adamantly won't allow building a plan in 90 days for a priority. They're like, oh, we do stuff. Like, we're not building a plan to do stuff. We're going to go, we're going to go do stuff. But that can be quite powerful. And again, it keeps everybody kind of focused on what the, you know, what the key significant priorities are. It's very easy for us, particularly those who are visionaries and founders to get distracted and pulled in different directions. So this helps, helps keep us all aligned and focusing on the, the key things. Do you find personality wise, when you look at you, Mark, are you attracted to certain clients more than others? You know, as, as you're vetting clients, as you're working with them and implementing EOS strategies in their company, um, how quick can you vet a client to say, hey, this would be a good fit. There's a lot of opportunity here for this company. That's a great question. We actually get asked that quite, quite a lot. I'm really fortunate. I don't know if this is a, if this is not a cop out answer, but I'm really fortunate. I have clients in in all kinds of different industries, really of, you know, you know, kind of small, ready to grow businesses right through to uh, some pretty sizable groups. Um, I enjoy all of them. When we vet for a client, we look at the psychographics of um, somebody who's going to put a system like EOS in place needs to be uh, ready to be open and honest, vulnerable, more afraid of the status quo than change. And you can often feel that in the room. You know, if somebody's really kind of fighting you hard early on, you can just say, you know, if we have to, one of our terms is, or sayings internally is if we have to drag somebody in, we have to drag them around. You just get a feel from the group. So I know it's a loosey-goosey answer, but if I have a group of people there, whether they're brand new to business, whether they're experienced and well-tenured, if they're ready to go and go do what what I kind of explain we can do with them, I, I'm generally ready to go. And then I, it does feel it's a little bit like kind of Christmas, that that first session day when you're heading into a focus day and you do know you're going to throw a whole bunch of things at, at people, it's pretty it's pretty fun. It's cool to start that journey. But um, the key answer, I don't think there's a size or shape or, you know, kind of particular kind of industry for me, but I think it's that open and honest and, you know, just, just kind of humble learners, almost like a, a permanent beginner's mindset, I think is, is key. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion and if we didn't have partners such as Pella there's no way we'd be who we are today over the years we've built this amazing relationship when we call them or email them they respond they're quick their their company culture their integrity their honesty you know they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer they can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects and also when you think about their product line they can do ultra contemporary historical preservation and large traditional projects so for anyone any scale any size they're the ones to call they're here local you know they have an amazing instagram make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing so if you need windows and doors give sammy and adam a call we stand behind pella we love what they do their culture their brand and especially their quality and if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. Yeah, I, I would imagine that's a big part of it is someone who's willing to implement the strategies and work with you and yeah. be responsible, be accountable, right? Answer the phone. I mean, that's a big part for you to be successful yeah. in what you do. Um, Industry-wise, I know that we met through you know, G3, and they're yeah. a trade partner of ours. They do a lot of work for us. They're a good friend of ours. Um, yeah. so, so you're working all throughout many industries. What are some of the industries that you work in and, and, and how important is that? Maybe this is at the core of it to realize that I, I I've said this on the podcast before that it took me a long time to understand that, Hey, I'm a business owner that happens to focus in construction. And yeah. too many times I'm thinking, well, I'm just a construction operator, right? I'm a general contractor mm -hmm. without realizing that, Hey, there, there's practices, there's techniques, there's strategies that are at the core of any business. And if you understand those and implement them, it, 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 you can cross over to many industries. Um, yeah, what we tend to work on is the execution side. So in terms of a product and service uh, development, uh, design and progress, that's uh, typically left to, left to others as uh, facilitators, implementers, and coaches. We help with the people side of it. And 
all businesses have people, all businesses have customers. So the, uh, surprisingly the, you know, the challenges and the obstacles and the, the thoughts running through leaders' brains are surprisingly similar, whether it be a large group, or a smaller group, I, I don't know how it landed the other day, but I told one leader who was kind of sharing some challenges with me that you're not as special as you think you are. And my <laughs> dry British nature, I'm like, I see these things pretty, pretty commonly. And I got a funny look, but I think, I think the point, the point landed, but, um, I think to answer your question that the challenges are very similar whenever we're dealing with people, things are moving around, people's needs are moving around, their aspirations are moving around. And that's a, that's a challenging thing to be responsible for, for those. I think that's where, when you have a set of tools and disciplines to fall back on it, it helps. And it takes, it takes some of the pressure off because leaders are the same. Leaders just want to get up every day, go do a good day's work and, and do right by the people. And, you know, to speak to G3 and automated environments are like a super people centric um, business, whether it be, you know, supporting themselves as a team or their customers. I know that, you know, kind of people and taking care of them is at the center of everything they, they do. And, and I think that's a really valid point because you mentioned automated environments, which is part of G3 and the team you're working with. And, you know, when you think about your tails long, right, as a builder, well, for them, they're, they're not only working for general contractors, so they have that relationship, but they're very involved with the client. You know, when I'm done with the job, they're still integrating aspects of the home. It could be Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, there's elements that they're really involved. And so at the core, and this is why going back to the very beginning of the conversation, when you mentioned just understanding the dichotomy of any company and politics and personalities. And I was just speaking to a builder this morning and he mentioned how he had said, you know, one of his employees threw a bottle at another car in a company truck and cause they had some road rage going on. And, you know, I had to laugh just because, um, he, you know, he's dealing with this issue and he's like, yeah. Brad, you know, I was frustrated. And, you know, you're thinking at just a nuance of running a company that things come up, right. People get offended, yeah. people get upset. Um, how important is it from a leadership structure as you're working with them just to f- understand how to sift through that and to set expectations yeah. to create habitable work environments? It wasn't you in the car that he was throwing the ball at. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't me in my company truck. That would have been terrible. Uh, there's a couple of things I, I see in um, our work at EOS that really help with those things that come up. So that accountability chart and building those right people, right seats, really gives us somewhere to point and to go when something's happening. So if there's some attaboys to give, it generally lets us know where to go. If there's somebody that we need to go look in the eye and hold a little bit more accountable, it lets us know where to go. And Sometimes we just overrun in an area that allows us to work it out if we have the accountability chart. And then something we do through our, our tools and the meeting cadence that we run is we have compartments for everything. So there are no bad ideas in a, in a business, but there, we need to be able to have a place to put those ideas. So we have some co- compartments through our strategic plan and our meetings, whether it be a, a one-year goal, a 90-day rock, a priority, a seven-day to do, an issue that's a long or a short-term issue. We want to be able to capture those things, put them somewhere, know that they're going to be gotten to in a, you know, they're going to be prioritized and dealt with in a, a suitable manner. So one of the sayings we use for those things that come up is they, they truly are issues. Like it's just an issue, whether it be a big issue, a little issue, we just need to put it in the right compartment. And whether it be discussed at the next weekly meeting or whether it be put on the long-term issues list, those things are going to come up. And no matter how good we are at dealing with those things, there's only going to be a new bunch of issues coming 30 days anyway. We've just got to be effective at, at kind of teeing them up, working on them as a team and ideally making them go away in a way that stops them coming back up a week after for no good good reason. So I think compartments is important. It is, it's another one of my, hopefully it doesn't come across as too patronizing, but hey, Brad, it's just an issue. Where are we going to put it? Where are we going to put it? Who's going to go deal with it? And we deal with it and provided we've got accountability, we know it'll get dealt with as best as best possible. So as you're looking at a company, and you're looking at the measurables that they're implementing. Um, are, are there measurables when you're looking as a consultant that are, I don't want to say more valuable, but maybe more of a focus? And it could vary by company, but what, what are some common measurables that, that you track? Yeah, the scorecards in our world, we when we tee up and we work with a group, we mentioned it's going to be one to three months for you to get those measurables in place and for you to truly love them. And, you know, we, we tracked uh, measurables on a seven-day basis. So more activity-based rather than trailing numbers. There will be a, occasionally a couple of trail, trailing numbers that get in, but most companies I see have four or five kind of key ones relevant to them and their, their business. And then I also see that companies have some that can kind of flow a little bit. 
if we have a problem, we're not quite sure how to go fix it. We go track some measurables for two or three weeks. We then go deal with it. And if it's, you know, if the numbers drop to a certain level, we can sometimes take it off. So I think for me, we want to have some fixed measurables that we're keeping our eyes on. We have, it's okay to go drop something in and, and measure it for a few weeks. Obviously what gets, you know, what gets measured gets managed. So uh, the easy one I see most groups add is when they start adding their AR on a seven day basis. I am, you immediately see that drop because whoever's responsible for that has a little bit of extra vigor to go chase some people down and kind of claim some, claim some cash. And then the other things tend to be, um, tend to be industry specific. I have, um, and I, I, it's what a client of mine, but I know he's okay with me sharing because I've asked him, um, and it's a retail store, it's a jewelry store and they track repairs and they look at repairs, revenue, uh, reviews. Um, and they know that when repair numbers drop, they need to go do some things because it's going to be connected to revenue four or five weeks down the line. So it's just one high level key indicator that is a driver of their business. And I think when we can work out what that is, we can then go do something to put it back on track. If it's, you know, if it's kind of fallen where it shouldn't. And I think that's pretty key. So there are some standard ones, kind of like, kind of like AR, kind of like, you know, net promoter score, you know, number of jobs done, number of sales, but there's also three or four as implementers. We try not to, we, we let teams work those out themselves. We don't want to spoon feed them because it's pretty, pretty kind of nuanced and specific to a, a company in its, its stage. It's interesting. Yeah. The, the AR is fascinating because in the sense of, you know, accounts receivable, every business is a little bit different, how they bill clients yeah. and you know, their, their terms. Right. Yeah. But essentially that the, the longer that they're waiting on dollars and that they're not tracking, as you mentioned, things that are measured, people are going to focus on that. Um, how, how can a business when they're focusing on a measurable such as AR, how, how does that change just the health of the organization? Um, you know, in, 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 in the industry that they're in. So for us at the leadership team level, those are going to be quite strategic numbers, things that we need to go put back on track. But ultimately we want every staff member in a company to have uh, one, two or three measurables that they're responsible for. And that lets them know how I can contribute. So if somebody truly doesn't want to be responsible for a number, there's probably a different conversation you want to be having with that individual. But again, on that premise of everybody gets up and wants to do great every day, if you give somebody a number that they're responsible for, that they're the champion of driving, it's going to, again, it's going to see contribution and it's going to see somebody stay focused. If nothing else, it lets somebody know, this is what I'm counting on you for, to go to be responsible for. And more often than not, we, we have enough vigor and verve to go after it and improve that number. And if, if not, it's just an issue and we go discuss what we're missing in terms of resources and infrastructure to, to attend to it. But that utopia is everybody in the organization having a number that they're responsible for and they report into. And then the other thing in terms of head trash is um, we all tend to work so hard and kind of, you know, long hours these days that, you know, we need to get our victories. So when we have our 90 day priorities and we have our weekly measurables, sometimes it just allows us to, you know, each individual to step back and be like, Hey, I kind of did it this week. I hit the benchmark. I achieved the, achieved the goal. I think those stop moments to celebrate are pretty, pretty key as well. If not, we're just going to be stuck on that hamster wheel. So it sounds even for you, I mean, there's, um, <clears throat> excuse me, at the core of it, you're going to have some idea of, as you mentioned, AR is pretty low hanging fruit of yeah. something that's probably going to be pretty yeah. common, but essentially most of the companies are self-evaluating and working with them to figure out, you know, the KPIs, right? Performance indicators. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are you going to be tracking, you know, all these different goals throughout the company? When you look at the rocks, examples of a good rock, poor rock, um, you know, good to do's, poor to do's. I, I'm sure you've seen the full spectrum there, you know, working yeah. with traction, some good examples there and, and maybe success stories you've had in your career. We go with the, with the SMART acronym and then we let teams work those, work those out. So, um, just, I've seen, I've seen teams remove the word and as they set a priority, they'll have two pieces to it. I've seen groups where they're interdependent. So I'm counting on you to get something done for me to be able to get mine done. So there's some great conversations around that. If, that's what the scenario was, then that's what the scenario was. I needed to give Brad a kick up the butt a little bit quicker and let him know <laughs> I'm dropping off because of, because of here. Um, groups tend to start quite broad and kind of, you know, with rocks that are related to their job. And ultimately we encourage them to be more uh, kind of development, a little bit more infrastructure based and what things do we need to do to set the company up to go to the next, to the next level. But um, 
It's interesting. Sometimes some of them are just intent. Sometimes they are, we want to go and drive on towards this and the group don't quite hit that priority as they define it, but they learn a whole bunch. And I think that's okay too. I think the key thing is it's the amalgamation of all those rocks and priorities to make sure that we're all heading broadly in one direction. You're not working on a new business area here and the rest of the team building infrastructure out to go help over over here. So I think it's really how they all kind of mesh in is the is the key answer. But it takes a while to get some of those things some of those things right. And a, a good to do a seven day item in hours is one that gets done. So we need ninety percent of those dropping off each week. I was chatting with one of my leaders this morning and um if I commit to do something in seven days I come back and I've got it done. There's a whole foundation that can be built around that. If we're regularly coming back and we don't know whether the person's going to have done it or not, a lot of things kind of collapse quite quickly. So everything we do in our work, I think, comes down to those seven-day to-dos. And Brad says he's going to take these to-dos and get them done. He's going to come back, and nine times out of ten, he's going to have got them, have got them done. We can count on that, and we can, we can build on it. We become a team that when we say we're going to do something, we, we get it done. So, if anything else, a good to-do means it's something that can get done and will get done. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you're tracking that. Any, as you've worked with companies and you've seen them implement the EOS in their company, any surprises, you know, based on kind of maybe where the company was to, hey, look what they're doing now. Look at the success rate. Does it still surprise you, even though you've had these years of experience to see companies really take off and understand, you know, these methods? The, the thing that really um, took me back through my experience, I'd consider myself a good business predictor and kind of feel like I have a pretty good sense on where things are going to head. But that accountability chart that I mentioned, how it's going to look, who's going to be elevated up, who's going to be moved into a new seat. I, I stopped trying to predict in my head how that might work <laughs> out in sessions just because it works out the way it's it's supposed to. It takes time, but provided we go back to the tool, that's really the one transformational dynamic tool that I see. And if you ask me to draw how I think it's going to look when I'm in a first session with a team, I do a pretty poor job when you look back three or four sessions later. So I think that's really the key the key part and then all those associated benefits from when you get that when you get that right you just see people you just see people flourish on on um, jason and, and tanya's team at AE, they were just recently able to elevate a staff member to a new level and that's that's pretty cool to be able to see and it's it's also it's not eos that did that it was the individual stepping up and taking responsibility and being accountable but it's pretty cool when you're able to see that that unfold and then the company gets a benefit from that person's commitment energy and and skill I think at the core, I think this is fascinating, Mark, because any business owner, they may think they know their people, right? And they, they, they probably do to some extent, some more than others, depending on how yeah. they line up with the the company, you, how, do you work with them side by side? But what's interesting is, to your point, is that even you who has a lot of success and strategy, you work with so many companies, taking outside the business acumen that you've had, when you're looking at employees, you may think you have an understanding of how the organization's kind of metal out and sift through everything. And it still surprises you, which I would imagine if it's surprising you, these business owners may be surprised mm -hmm. too at some of them that rise and step up to the plate as they're, you know, have the momentum and the goals and the accountability and all the different things that we're, we're speaking about now. How, how empowered are business owners now when they're working with you and they're like, I had no idea so-and-so would step mm -hmm. up and, 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 you know, there's, there's a true talent there in leadership and not everyone has that gift. I mean, but some people can see someone not as they are, but who they can be. And it's a really tough thing to implement. Yeah. And that's hard. Like we have so many people and then they have things changing in their life and their thoughts are changing. And again, if we can divine, design a clear vision, which most groups have a, you know, have a good vision. It's not always mapped out in every different kind of, you know, level and kind of phase. But when we can determine and we can put that out there, we don't know how folks are going to respond. We don't know what they have going on in their lives that, you know, perhaps for a little while work is a, arrive, do my 40 to 50 hours a week, do a good job and go home. And, you know, maybe for me, the next six months is proving myself so I can go rise and take responsibility in some new areas. Like it's, there's so many moving pieces when we're dealing with, when we're dealing with people that, yeah, you're right. It's, it's hard to get a read on scenarios. So I think that's why through some of the work we do and through the, the meeting cadences that we set people up on, it's best just to hear it from the horse's mouth, just get people's feedback, you know? Are you in? Are you in? Are you opting into this? Is this something you care about, or, or not? I I'm pretty impatient. I like get into those conversations as soon as possible. But yeah, for sure, reading people is is hard. And to go back to the retention question, we we don't know what's on somebody's mind. We don't know who they're talking to. We don't know what long term aspirations they've got. Many times, so the best way is to sit down and kind of kind of ask them.
And this goes back to your retention comment when I asked you about retention and you're like, well, it's, you know, retention is defined differently depending on, you know, how much we're going to push them and, you know, make them accountable. And and some people step up and some maybe not so much. Um, From entrepreneurship, you know, from that perspective, Mark, the value of an entrepreneur to have a mentor, a coach, an implementer, Mm -hmm. why is it so valuable? Why is it that many entrepreneurs think they can do it on their own and maybe delay having that personal coaching and, you know, that expertise beside them? I think it's a lonely place. I think being a, a leader, a founder, an entrepreneur, or any leadership team member, there's so many things, and there are so many things that we're challenged with. That to be able to have that mentor or coach who we can go, who we can go chat, who will who will kind of listen and give us their feedback and be relatively neutral. I think it's important. You see some of the uh, peer networking groups out there that are so so valuable because it's like-minded individuals getting together, and they have a similar set of challenges that they're that they're facing. I think that. You know, the benefit to those groups are significant. And in terms of a coach or a mentor, it's somebody to listen and help you process, but then also set two or three things to go do, to go fix it, to go make it a little bit a little bit better. Um, for me, what I like about the work we do is, like I mentioned, the answers in the tools and we have a procedure to follow. Um, it's not, um, I kind of find that helping individuals come to those conclusions is uh, far more rewarding than, you know, trying to give somebody the answer. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what entrepreneurs want either. They want to be able to, they've, they're kind of trained. If they've built a successful business, they have the skill set to go figure themselves, figure things out themselves. Having somebody to partner with and discuss different options, I think can just make those decisions kind of richer. And yeah, I go back to my original point. It's pretty lonely being a, a business owner. We have a lot of people and things we're responsible for. There's no doubt that it's lonely as an entrepreneur. <laughs> and, and not only that, um, the highs and lows, right? I mean, there's five minutes of the day, the year's highs can be, and then five minutes later, year's lows can be, and it fluctuates. And I think it, it can be, it can be really tough on that, the the stress that comes with it. And when you think about payroll and pipeline and um, AR, as you mentioned, I mean, there's just so many (laughs) elements that we stress out about. Yeah. It's never ending. Like it truly is. It's just an issue, right? That's why it's great. And I think where we can set teams up, where the, where the owner, where the leadership team members are not just on an island, but they're working with others who, you know, if somebody's been in an organization for a while, chances are they care significantly about the group and the people that own it as well. When we can go share some of that burden and, you know, create an opportunity and allow people to pitch in according to their skill sets, I think it, it allows it to be shared out a whole bunch. And, and yeah, the, as we know, we kind of like the successes. I think we need to stop on. One thing I share with my teams is when they go through their weekly meeting and somebody says on track to a priority, that should be kind of like Pavlov's dog where we hear that sound and it kind of makes us feel good because we've decided this is a priority and my colleague is working on it and they're on and they're on track. But yeah, I think the opportunity to share that out, other people care as well. So being able to put them in a position where they can contribute, I think, I think benefits everybody. So maybe some background on you, Mark. I I know you're not from the U.S. originally. What brought you here? (laughs) What kept you here? Um, So I'm from Sheffield in in northern England. So I still have the strange accent despite being in (laughs) Philadelphia for seven years and Arizona for 11 or 12. So I think that's my stubbornness kind of kicking in. Uh, (laughs) Sheffield's a working class uh, city in northern England. So uh, the original steel city. And I was born in 1982. So kind of, you know, late 80s, early 90s, it was recovering from a lot of factories and be closing down and jobs being lost. So very kind of working class place and then slowly redeveloped. And then like most British kids, I was a, didn't quite make it, want to be professional soccer player. So <laughs> then we, when we get told we're not quite, we're not quite at that level, we have to find something else to do. So uh, for me, I went to, went to university, but then set some businesses up, coaching soccer, sending contractors and sports instructors to different parts of the parts of the county, uh, the equivalent of a state back home and was able to create some businesses where we got to go, you know, kind of provide sports instruction to thousands of kids, which was pretty, pretty cool because it was kind of like having a job, but without having a job, but a young business owner, you certainly learn a whole bunch of lessons. And then eventually I moved to Philadelphia and did the, uh, built a very similar business, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and a little bit into Delaware and had a whole bunch of people out doing, you know, also doing things that kind of felt a little bit like work, but were really you know, being in shorts, but, you know, soccer balls flying in and around. I was able to kind of build a business with some some people I really enjoyed being around. So, yep, England, Philadelphia, and then eventually moved across to Arizona. Um, worked in some different corporations, a couple of healthcare, 
healthcare groups, a couple of e-commerce groups, and uh, really got to be in and around some great people and learn a whole bunch about you know business from other perspectives. See some really well-run teams and organizations, and uh, some that were less you know less organized, and eventually kind of uh, realized that going and delivering EOS was a, a full-time opportunity. And now I get to go back to almost to my roots and just be in and around entrepreneurs, which which is a pretty cool thing to do. A crossover between athletics, soccer, and business. Yeah, it's all the same, really. Somebody asked me the other day, "Why, why did you become an entrepreneur?" And it was like uh, I'd never thought about that, and I'm like, <laughs> because I didn't get to be a soccer player. It's the most similar thing, I think. Right? We get to win, lose, and then pick ourselves up again and, and go after it. Yeah, there's a lot of similar similarity, and and the reality is, I mean, it's hard work, right? I mean, the the thing yeah. is, you may go compete on the field, and as, as you demark, but it's the hours of training that people don't see. It's the same thing mm-hmm. in business, you know, they don't see the hours and time put in as an entrepreneur and everything behind the scenes that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's kind so, of it's addictive, right? It's pretty addictive the opportunity. So EOS, you know, you mentioned that you had all, you know, your journey. You kind of went through briefly there. Um, how were you introduced to EOS? You know, why, why so passionate about it? Um, I was working at an organization and a, a CEO was looking for me to join his organization and essentially be their change agent. So, uh, gave me the book and being a, a little nerdy, I read it in a, in a weekend and was kind of, kind of sold. So I got to see a company go and self-implement EOS, which, um, we have a whole community that we support of individuals who take the tools and disciplines and implement them in their, in their business. Um, like any kind of organization, there were some areas where they were really strong, some other areas where it, it could have done with a little a little work. And at that point, when I kind of looked into it, it, it kind of sat with me and it you kind of do that thing of going back through your own journey and where did you have successes and where did you make things really hard work? And I'm like, yep, this is kind of a whole bunch of things I feel I've been saying for a little while, for several years, but in a more eloquent, well-packaged way. So um, then looked into EOS, did a little work with uh, Predictive Index. So. I'm still part of a team where we go in and help people with their uh, turnover and helping people in terms of group dynamics and you know, managed to move into doing EOS full time. And now as you've, as you've worked with so many companies at EOS legacy, you know, what is, mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? Uh, for me personally, yeah. um, I like helping entrepreneurial leadership teams. I know it sounds again, a little corny, but uh, when you can go work with leadership teams and they have a whole bunch of people that are responsible for and customers, it's I think it's pretty impactful. Uh, sometimes I see teams and they're bringing issues out and there's a whole bunch of tension in the room and I stand there and think to myself, well, I'm glad we're doing this work today because if we didn't, these issues would still be there tomorrow. So I kind of feel by helping, helping a whole bunch of teams with those issues, we can go um, make our little dent on making the business world a little smoother and more efficient. And, and that's it. I, I love that. I have a a goal to help a whole bunch of entre- entrepreneurial leadership teams the next 10 years. And uh, yeah, it's been a whole bunch, bunch of fun so far. Personally, as you're working with entrepreneurs, which you mentioned legacy, um, do you find it challenging to not interject, to not mm-hmm. over govern? H- how difficult is it to maybe sit back and listen and maybe, you know, just probe them? So that's the, that's the tiring part of a full session day. It's the, listening to capture the key themes and sometimes reading the body language. There's a Canadian chap in our community and he shared that we get together and meet for our quarterlies as well. So we, you know, we kind of eat our own dog food, but in one of his <laughs> kind of nuggets for uh, the quarter, he shared that he shared a scenario of working with a leadership team and he just reminded us we're not as smart as we think we are. So we don't have all the details. We sometimes don't have the underneath. So. It is our job to facilitate, teach, and coach, but it's not our job to have the answers. And it's you know it's kind of like the teaching somebody to to fish. It's yeah, it's not our job to have the answers. So um, I think you have to show some judgment. I just tend to let my know, let my group know this is my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. Um, again, I think you need some trust built to do that. But yeah, we're not as we're not as smart as we think we are. I think that's probably useful for all of us to keep in mind at times. Have you ever had in your career? any tough feedback or response from clients, you know, how did you get through that? I, I know internally for me, um, I, I think we can all relate, right? We, we're trying to build a company and systems and there, there's a lot of things we understand, but as you mentioned, it's like, I, I'm not involved in any day, every aspect of the business. And sometimes clients will feedback, give me yeah. feedback, autopsy, if you will. And you're like, Hmm, okay, we need to fix that. We need to address that. You know, how's that yeah. from your perspective? 
Yeah, so we do that at the end of every session day. We set kind of expectations and an agenda at the start. And at the end of the day, we ask a team how they how they did together working as a team. So, uh, you know, the majority of the time, the comments are, you know, kind of towards the leadership team, but we also seek feedback as well. So I think for, for me being pretty uh, fast moving, uh, taking time to reflect on that and trying to not respond in the moment is typically the best, uh, the best response. But yeah, we, when we get in a session room, we open that environment up so we can have a whole bunch of, you know, kind of, you know, direct feedback. So sometimes, you know, kind of conflict and difficult conversation arises and, um, that's, that's kind of part of it. Again, I'm always grateful when it happens rather than it being kind of deep down and buried. So, um, yeah, all kinds of, all kinds of feedback for me, it's that, uh, kind of patience and kind of go away and, and process. So there's a few acronyms that I've heard, maybe break yeah. those down. Uh, one of yeah. them is G GWS. So the GWC. Uh, so yeah, the, GWC. So, uh, if somebody, so somebody's going to have a job description, so, you know, it kind of, it doesn't replace that, but, um, if we determine what the seat looks like, um, what are the five major roles in that seat that we define for any individual who has in our world, at least who has direct reports, the first acronym to throw another one at you is lead, manage and hold accountable. So that would be a catch all for the hiring, training, quarterly conversations, all those things we do when we manage people and then all, and then the other major roles. So. We keep it high level because we go share this throughout the company. We want everybody to know who they can go to, to have clear, you know, transparent communication, but that wouldn't work if we gave 15 points. So five major roles. And then ultimately then when we discuss is Brad right for this seat, we're going to look at the core values. Is he a core value fit? Does he exhibit those on a daily basis? And then does he get it? Do the neurons fire in his brain? Is he hardwired that way? Um, a graphic designer typically wouldn't be wired the same way as a finance person. I did have a finance person who told me they're also a graphic designer the other day, but I, I was skeptical on that. But typically, somebody's you know wires are kind of geared a certain way, so that's the gets it. The wants it is uh, Brad motivated. Does he you know uh, pop up every every morning ready to go, kind of you know dominate and do great in that job? I can't pay you more to want it. I can't cajole you into wanting it. You're either motivated or not. You either want it. And then the capacity, the skills, the training experience to be able to go on delivering those five major roles. So if you were a yes to get it, a yes to want it, a yes to capacity, then you'd be the uh, you'd be in the right seat. So lead, manage, hold accountable. What about um, IDS and how does it work? Oh, did I slip that one in without mentioning? Sorry. So uh, identify, discuss, and solve. So uh, this is one of my favorite things to do in EOS. We um, we're leading a workshop on it. Uh, in the next couple of weeks. But as an issue comes up, um, we identify, we discuss and solve. Most of the time when we describe an issue, we're going to describe a symptom. So we have to spend some time as a team working out whether that's a symptom or whether it's the root cause. If not, we're going to, we need to go back and determine what the root cause or causes might be. Once we land on them, we then have to go about solving the root cause. Typically that's going to make the symptom go away. When we discuss it, the D part, we say our piece once and only once more than that is going to be politicking. So, um, being the way I am and being competitive, if I'm really strong about something, I might say it in four or five different ways. I might say the same thing. So we're not allowed to do that. When we kind of discuss, we just say it once and land it there. And then the solve piece is we make a decision that makes the issue go away ideally for ideally forever. And then typically as we make that decision, there's two, three, one, two, three or four to do's that we need to set to then go and and enact it so identify discuss and solve most groups spend a whole bunch of time discussing the heck out of things very often <laughs> we get caught moving on to onto tangents um and then um i work with a marketing agency um earlier in january and they they labeled me as um uh, hurried but heard was the approach and i kind of like that we do need to leadership team time is expensive if you work out all the people in the room so we need to get to things somewhat promptly, but we need to make sure everybody feels heard. And then um, they referred to me as ruthless. And because they're a marketing agency, they decided it should be compassionately ruthless. But unfortunately, the compassionate was them adding it on. That wasn't a descriptor of me. So um, identify, discuss, and solve. And, and it's probably hard to rank when you think about identify, discuss, and solve. But are there any of those that are more important, you know, the, is it the yeah. identification to really dive deep and figure out essentially the core issue there? 
identify without question because if we're just dealing with a symptom it's going to come back up two or three weeks later because we've not got the root cause so um to consider that when we're talking about issues to consider it a three-step approach and be diligent about taking our time let's not move on to discuss it until we've identified what we believe is the root cause is so so important like that's key and it's really it's really hard particularly if it's an emotive uh, kind of symptom or an issue that we're bringing up um yeah, it's definitely the identification in, in my opinion. And the last one I have for you is RPRS. Yeah. Right people, right seats. So there you uh, go. stealing from Jim Collins and good to great. I love that. So I guess now personally, I know we talked about right. your journey a little bit there, Mark. Uh, favorite golf course? It has to be Pine Canyon. That's the one I play the most. <laughs> it just, just is. Either that or my uh, par 67 public course back in Sheffield, just because I can play that one relatively well but no it's uh it's it's pine canyon it's so so, so pretty how do you get so good at golf now now just to be open i i play with i've played with mark once and he is the ball about 10 times farther than anyone i've met so um you know secret to becoming so good at golf you know what got you interested um my golfing came from trying to stay out of trouble when i was 14 i didn't start playing until i was 14 but it was i lived right off the back of that public golf course so I used to just go and hit golf balls on there to get out of, to just try and keep out of, out of trouble and try and stay on the right tracks to try and be a soccer player. Um, but yeah, I can also hit the ball pretty sideways and yeah, so I, I appreciate the compliment, but I can have some bad days as well. I don't remember how I played the day we played, so I'll assume it was okay. Yeah. You played really good. Um, best advice you've been given. Um, I have a really good mentor in the US community now who just encourages me to keep it simple, almost on a weekly basis. He knows my high fact finder uh, nature. So just, just keep it simple. Um, I was thinking, I was thinking about uh, an individual I work with in my thirties as well. It wasn't a specific piece of advice. Um, but, uh, the chap had two doctorates. He was an emergency medicine doctor out of San Diego. So I've seen all kinds of things you can't imagine. And I just remember the time spent with him, maybe the smartest individual I've ever met. And he had the ability to kind of just make you feel like a, a million dollars. So I've always tried to kind of carry some of that, that kind of humbleness and that kind of patience with me as a 32 year old traveling around the West coast with him at that point, that, that kind of aura, that approach has kind of stuck with me. So not a great direct answer, but um, yeah, keep it, keep it simple. And then I think just kind of see the best in people, meet them, meet them where they are. So outside of golf, what do you do for fun? I have two, uh, two girls, uh, my wife, Jamie, and, and I have Emma, who's an eight-year-old, and Olivia, who's a 10-year-old. So at the moment, being in September, it's um, run around, kind of deal with, deal with school, get to dance clubs, get to soccer practice, just kind of keep up, try and walk the Springer Spaniel enough because he's, he's a, a pup, so he's a little crazy. But yeah, just, just get on and keep, uh, keep moving along and try and keep him out of jail in 10 years, I guess. So before I let you tell everyone where they can find you and give us your personal info um, to look you up and consult with you, Jason and Tanya want to know why you're, they're your favorite clients. Um, I've known Jason and Tanya for a while. They just, I think they're just so people focused. Um, I remember the first time I kind of engaged with them, uh, looking at doing predictive index with them. And I was on the call with a, a colleague, Mike of mine, and you know, we kind of have Jason's profile and he's like, Mark, just so you realize Jason's built his business career based on, uh, being good with people with building long-term relationships and doing right by people. And that's it. So it sounds like a highly scripted question. Um, but that's, what I'll, that's what I'll go with. For those and, listening, and, Mark. Oh, go ahead. And Tanya as well. And obviously Jason and Tanya are a tandem, but yeah, they just, they just treat people right. And business is not always rocket science. I think if we treat enough people, right, it all kind of works out. They do. Yeah. That. So for those listening again, wealth and knowledge, can't thank you enough for all of your time, Mark. Where can our listeners find you and reach out to you? Uh, so email is probably uh, best. So uh, mark.stone at eosworldwide.com. Um, or also uh, feel free to give me a call, 602-300-8670. All the EOS implementers, are, um, it's a help first community. So um, it's not only a case of reaching out if somebody wants to do a you know an EOS implementation. If it's just a general conversation or there's some way uh, someone like me can help, then feel free to free to reach out. It's amazing. Well, Mark, mm -hmm. I can't thank you enough for coming on today. You've been incredible. Look forward to catching up again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast or certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe, make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.